morning. How's everybody doing today? Well, welcome to LifePoint. Today's an exciting day. We have a baptism service today, and that is rain or shine unless there's lightning. So you're going to hear a little bit more about that in the service, but right now there's, I think, almost 30, maybe a little over 30 people that have said, we want to take that step. And today I want you to be open to God speaking to you. If he hasn't already in this service, that God would speak to you and say, it's time for you to take that step. We'd love for you to join us out at Falls Lake at four o'clock. You even get a barbecue dinner uh, custom made for you uh, in the middle of all that. So we would love to have you out there. Just come down and talk to me or one of the other pastors down front after the service. So we're in this series. We started it last week. Uh, it's called Forget You. And the whole idea behind the series is over the next several weeks, we're gonna be talking about this idea that God can produce within me what I cannot produce myself. And it all comes from this teaching in the New Testament book of Galatians. Uh, a guy named Paul is trying to tell Christ followers that there's things they'll never attain by their own effort. That no matter how hard followers of Christ try, there's things we'll never have in our lives if we just try to do it ourselves. And so there's this contrast of what I produce in myself and what that looks like, and then what God produces in me and what that looks like. And so we're talking about, well, what does it look like for God to produce something in me that I cannot produce myself? Now, those of you still exploring Christ, there's a part about what I'll talk about today that will be difficult to understand because You've yet to say yes to Jesus, and we're honored that you've chosen here uh, as part of your journey, and we hope to see you say yes to Jesus someday, maybe even today. And when you do, there will be something produced in you that you could have never produced on your own. It all comes from Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, where it says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, I can't produce those things in the quantity or quality that God can produce in me. And so what we're encouraging everybody to do is just forget you a little bit and think about how God can produce these things in you, in you that can transform your life. Now today we're gonna jump into the first one of these, love, and see how God produces love in every person that says yes to Jesus because God's, God can produce a love in us that we could never produce on our own. He, he can produce something in me when it comes to love that I could never produce on my own. So as we start today, I just want to pray that, that we're open to what God has to say about his Holy Spirit producing in us a love that we could never have without his Spirit. God, we ask that you open our hearts, open our minds, and allow us to hear you today. And if that's taking a next step, if that's getting baptized, if that's finally saying yes to Jesus, if that's realizing the love that you placed in us when we said yes to, do, to you, may that happen today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
There's some Bibles coming down. I'm going to be sharing from a couple scriptures today. I'd love for you to read along. Just raise your hand. We'll give you one of those. You can also follow along on the screen. You ever notice, uh, if you've been at LifePoint a while, we don't use the word Christian very much. What do you mean, a church that doesn't say Christian very much? But we don't. We ask people to become followers of Christ. The word Christian is only one place in the Bible, in the New Testament. But Christian has become to mean something that it didn't mean at first. At first, it meant people who followed Christ. Today, it's just become another label that people use to define a set of beliefs or uh, judge a group of people or persecute a group of people or just wear a label like uh, a political label or whatever country you're from label. It's just become another label. It's kind of a loaded term, especially in our culture. So we say Christ follower because it better illustrates what Jesus is asking every person to do, and that's to follow him with all their lives. But we're going to use the word Christian today a little bit. So when I put this up where it says Christians fill in the blank, what comes to mind? When you think about that, if you had, to, if you had a piece of paper and somebody said, hey, complete the sentence, what would you write down? That depends largely on your background. It depends largely on how you were raised or where you are in your faith or experiences you may have had with people who call themselves a Christian. It would depend. You know, people who are middle-aged do or want to do some crazy things. You know, there's two things I'm going to do. I will do them. One is I want to ride the Transamerica dirt bike trail. Anybody ever heard of that? Raise your hand. Not many. Not any. Okay, let me tell you what that is. Go Google it. It's a real thing. It's a dirt bike trail that once you get to Tennessee, you can go all the way to the Oregon coast on private and public lands and never be on pavement. Now, you got to have a dirt bike to do it, which I don't have, but, but I'm going to get one and I'm going to ride that trail. I grew up riding dirt bikes, so I know how to do it. Only got one concussion in the whole process. But I want to do that. That's one thing I want to do. Another thing, I have a friend who just rode across a South American country on a motorcycle, went through this tour, and I was like, I'm going to do that. But we tend to want to do some crazy things like that as we age. Now, I will let you go along that journey with me. I'll keep you updated. And if there's like a month where Donnie's not around sometime, you're going to go, he's on that dirt bike trail. He did it. And I'll let you know when that happens. But one thing that people love to do, certain types of people, is accomplish something big. One of those things is climbing Mount Everest. You know how many people have climbed Mount Everest? Made it to the top, 4,000 people. And it might make some people want to say, well, I want to do that. There's another stat that is bigger to me that keeps me from doing that is 280 people have died trying to do it. 280 people have died trying to do it. And the most experienced climbers will tell you that the greatest threat is not elevation, it's not exhaustion, it's not even weather, but it's other climbers who are unwilling to help when a climber is in need. Not too long ago, an engineer from Cleveland made it to the top, and on the way back down, he ran out of oxygen. You need oxygen at that level or you'll die. And climber after climber passed him, about 40 of them, and he died. And all he needed 
for ha to happen was for someone to stop and give him some oxygen. So another climber made this observation after he heard about it. Passing people who are dying on the mountain is not uncommon. Unfortunately, there are those who say, it's not my problem. I've spent all this money and I'm going to get to the summit. Could that be a picture of Christians sometimes? I mean, I hope it never describes me. I hope it never describes our church. But it, could it be that we're so set on a goal or set on getting somewhere or set on accomplishing something in our lives that there are people around us all the time that need our help, but we're just going by them because we got a lot of stuff to do. We got to get busy. We got things to ha make happen in our lives so we don't have time to stop and take care of this. See, we never lock eyes with somebody who doesn't matter. And yet we probably pass people every day who are just looking and hoping for another breath, another day, another conversation, another person to reach out to them. And how many times do we pass and ignore our opportunity to help? See, we try hard as a church. One of the things we try really hard to do, and we're not perfect at it because we're human, but we try really hard to make sure when somebody says, I need help and I'm hurting and I need to talk or I need this, whatever it is, we try really hard to stop and walk through that with you, whatever it is. So now look at this sentence again. Christians with the blank, fill in the blank. What would it be? Well, 18 or 16 to 29-year-olds were asked this question not too long ago. What do you think of when you hear the word Christian? And here's what they said. Christians are hypocrites. Christians see people as projects. Christians are judgmental. And I saw that, I read that book, and I thought, and they said a lot of other things about us. And I thought, that's not what I want to be in that blank. I want something better to be in there. What, don't you? I don't want people to think that is what people who say Christian or I'm a follower of Christ or somehow identify with Jesus, I don't want that to be what especially the younger generation thinks about us. So maybe those who wear the name Christian have many times done a very poor job at not being like that. You may have seen this in the news that last week in Florida, two boys on boogie boards were caught in the riptide. Anybody see that? A few people started going out trying to help them. And, and here's a picture of it. They were stuck out in Panama, it's the Panama Beach and they were stuck out. They were trying to get back and they couldn't, couldn't get back. And so they made a chain. First a few people, then a few more people, then a few more people. And all in all, there were about nine people out there stuck in the riptide, but about 80 people were involved in this chain and it, they rescued all the people. No one drowned. And later, one of the people in the chain, kind of the lady that organized the whole thing and said, let's make this happen. She was asked, why did you get involved with this? And she said, these people, I said to myself, these people are not drowning today. It's not happening. We're going to get them out. And if you read that story, one of the things I love about it is nobody said, wait a minute, who are these people first? Before we rescue them, who are they? What color are they? What religion are they? What country are they from? Would they help us if we were out there drowning? Let's determine all of that and then maybe we'll help. 
Does anybody have time? It's getting close to lunch. I don't know. I'm not sure. I got other things to do. We're on vacation. We don't want to get involved with this. Nobody did that. They said, they're not drowning today. Not today. Not while we're here. They were just moved to action without all the qualifying questions of, well, let's find out some stuff before we lend some help. Before we show a little love, let's, let's get some more information. They just acted when somebody was in trouble. See, I want to be described as, if they were filling in that blank, I, I would like for them to say, Christians love like no one else. Christians love like no one else. When they see something, they act. They don't pass up opportunities to show God's love to people. It's up to them what they do with God's love, but we don't pass up opportunities to show it. A few years ago, I was with my daughter Molly in Ecuador visiting a couple of the churches that we planted, and we got to do this thing called a day in the life where we go to a family's house, and, and we get to hang out with them for half a day and watch what they do, and we were helping them clear their banana tree fields, and we were, I had this big machete out there like I knew what I was doing, and, and, and we go back to the people's house, and, and we're talking, and this little six-year-old boy and his little brother were talking to us. We had no idea what they were saying. And then the translator got a little teary-eyed. And I said, okay, what's he saying? And she said, well, he's just telling you that he doesn't have a sponsor. And I said, he does now. You know, <laughs> you do now, buddy. I said, you tell him he does now. And another one of our leaders was with me, and there was another little boy there. And I was like, you know, like, hey, step up. I did. You got it. And right after that, Andrew came, and he gave me this huge hug. I could not produce that kind of love. I could have compassion and all that, but, but the kind of love that says, I don't, I'm not sure how this fits in a budget. I'm not sure how this works, but if there would have been 10 Andrews that day that said, I don't have a sponsor, I would have said, all of you are sponsored. I will take care of it. God's love motivates us to do things we would never do without it, that we would never do on our own. And may we never pass up opportunities to love because it might cost us a few dollars or a little bit of our time or a little bit of diversion in our day. There's a guy in the New Testament that was fascinated with how much God loves us. And he wrote about it over and over and over again. His name was John. John was referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved all of them, but something about his relationship with John was special. He saw Jesus model love, he heard him teach about it, and he received it from Jesus firsthand. John has five books in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the book of John, and then the book of Revelation. And in the New Testament book of 1st John, he mentions love in one chapter 44 times. And here's what he says in chapter 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. This is the love that was talked about, what I talked about from Galatians 5, that whole series is based upon. That the Holy Spirit living in us, when we say yes to Jesus, produces something in us we couldn't produce on our own. And in this case, it's love. Now, there's a way. I mean, I can have God's love expressed in me. That's what John is saying. God's love can have its full expression in you. So here's some truths that he tells us about God, about God in this passage. He tells us that God is love. That's how he describes him. One word, love. You may think you discovered love when you've locked eyes with that person that made your heart like skip. That made you say, I'm gonna reorient my whole life around this person because they're awesome and it's everything I ever wanted. And you might think that's love. That is a form of love, but that's not the ultimate definition of love. The ultimate definition of love is God. It's who he is. It's what he does. It's what motivates him. The best way to describe what is love, it's God. So God is love and God loves us. God loves you, God loves me, God loves everybody. That person that you fear, that person that you hate, that person that you detest, that person who you don't even want to think of their name, that person who you can't stop reading about or thinking about that either hurt you or you think is a horrible person, God looks at that person and says, I love you. Here's what God did for that person that you're thinking of right now that you can't stand. By sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, God loved us so much that he did all of that before we ever made a response to him. The best way to describe it is for those of you who have children, as you were preparing for this child to either show up at your house or to be born, you started loving that child. When my wife first said, we're going to have a baby, I was in love. Didn't know if it was a boy or girl. Didn't know what, what, what they were going to look like. Didn't know if they were going to be whole physically. And all. I didn't know any of that, but I was madly in love immediately. When our first was born, and I looked at her, I was in love, and she had done nothing for me. She would do nothing for me for quite some time. (laughs) She would do nothing but take from me for quite some time. And it would be a long time before I ever heard the words, I love you too, Daddy. But I loved her no less. She captivated my heart no less. Think of that love, and that's, that's not even close to the love that God has for every person, including the person that you might feel hatred or anger 
or disgust in your heart for. He loves us first, even when we don't deserve it. There's no one that God doesn't love. Nobody. There's no one that God didn't send Jesus to die for. There's no one that God doesn't desire to have a relationship with. John also wrote the most famous verse in the Bible. You know, the Tim Tebow verse that was on his eyes that time and and the verse that's on all the football games. John wrote that verse. That's actually in the Bible. It's John 3.16 and we could probably all quote it together. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone means everyone. Not just people that subscribe to certain sets of beliefs, not just people from a certain country, not just people who have little, not just people who have a lot. Everyone has the opportunity to have eternal life, no matter what. God longs for every person on the face of the earth that's, uh, that's living, that will ever live, to respond to that love. Now, with so much disagreement and division in our world, it's easy to forget God loves those people that maybe you turn on the news and you're disgusted. I think 100%, no matter what side you're on, you're probably feeling some disgust. And you think, it's such a divided world. Well, God loves all of those people. So we did this little activity where we thought, all right, let's go A to Z. Who does God love? Like, who does he actually love? We can say everybody in one word, but we just did this little exercise, our teaching team. We just kind of went A to Z, and I just want to read off what we came up with. God loves, starting with A, and I'm going to go all the way to Z. God loves air traffic controllers, astrologers, addicts, Amish, and acrobats. God loves the British, Batman, banjo players, bookkeepers, and beekeepers. God loves cab drivers, crooks, Chinese, chefs, car dealers. God loves daycare workers, dental hygienists, doctors, dairy farmers, drag queens, and Donald Trump. (laughs) He does. God loves elephant trainers, endocrinologists, Ethiopians, and English teachers. God loves football players, both kinds. God loves frat brothers, the French, florists, and people who wear flannel in the summer. (laughs) God loves gang members, Germans, governors, golfers, and goofballs, hairdressers, home, uh, home builders, heterosexuals, homosexuals, and hunters. God loves ice cream truck drivers, IT specialists, immigrants, and IRS agents even. God loves jewelers, jewelry thieves, judges, Jews, and Japanese, kings, kitchen staff, knitters, and kelp farmers, limousine drivers, lemonade sand workers, landscapers, librarians, and lawyers are loved by God. Meter maids, mailman, massage therapists, money launderers, and meteorologists, nannies, nurses, nursery workers, neurologists, and complete nut jobs. Optometrists, office managers, orthopedic surgeons, outdoorsmen, people from Oman. God loves policemen, principals, painters, pawnbrokers, pastors, and presidential candidates of both parties. God loves quiz masters, queens, the band queen, people from Qatar, quitters. God loves them. Runners, receptionists, race car drivers, and people of all religions. Surfers, secretaries, salesmen, shoplifters, sheep herders. He loves teachers, tattoo artists, travel agents, tax accountants, and tax evaders. Utility workers, Uber drivers, the unemployed, Ugandans, and umbrella makers. God even loves vegans, veterans, video gamers, vice presidents, and he loves Venezuelans. He loves waitresses, writers, webmasters, welders, and weird people. It gets interesting now. 
God loves xylophone players, Xerox repairmen, people named Xavier, and the X-Men. <laughs> God loves youth pastors, yak owners, YMCA workers, yo-yo champions, and yodelers. And finally, God loves zookeepers, Zambians, people from Zimbabwe, and people preparing for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. He does. God loves everybody. He loves you, and he loves me. So not only is God love, not only does God love us, but here's the one you got to remember. We love God by loving others. I mean, that's what Jesus himself said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Now, we all think, well, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all, and all your mind. That's the first, and it's the greatest commandment. But he said another one. He said the second is equally important. So he just said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But here's something else that's right up on the same level. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we show our love to God by loving other people. That's what Jesus himself said. John said it like this. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Now remember, there's a difference in the love I produce in me and the love God can produce in me. I mean, think of the hardest person in the world, in your world to love, God died for them. Jesus died for them. God can produce in you something that will allow you to feel love for that person. See, God produces in me a love that I could never produce on my own. See, the love we produce on our own has a lot of qualifiers with it. God's love doesn't have qualifiers. God is love and God says, I love you. There's no if. Now, we say if. Well, I'll love you if uh, you do what I want. I'll love you when you get yourself together and you're lovable or you'll stop being an idiot. Or I love you because, hey, you're like me. You're easy to love and I love you because you're just like me. I'm in love with you because you're like me. You know, Jesus actually said, if you love people who are like you, that's not that big a deal. That's not, the, he didn't say those exact words, but it was just in a sense what he said. He said, if you love people who love you, you're just like everybody else. Even pagans love people who love them. In other words, that is not hard to do, loving people like us. I love these words that are attributed to author C.S. Lewis. He says, there's someone I love even though I don't approve of what he does. There's someone I accept, though some of his thoughts and actions revolt me. There's someone I forgive, even though he hurts the people I love the most. That someone is me. There are plenty of things that I do that I don't like, but if I can love myself without approving of all I do, I can love others without approving of all they do. As that truth has been absorbed into my life, he says, it's changed the way I view everyone. Only God can produce that kind of love in us. So there's this contrast of the love that we try to produce that's always conditional, always. You're, if, as long as you're like me, as long as we agree on enough, as long as we can intersect with our thoughts and beliefs enough, then I'll love you. But if we don't, then I'm not really sure. You kind of turn my stomach. But then there's this love that's produced in us simply because we say yes to Jesus. 
and allow his Holy Spirit to come into our lives and change us, it produces a love and understanding that we will never have otherwise. Pastor Ajay Lal is an is a Indian pastor who's planted churches throughout India. I've heard him speak many times. He is a powerful pastor, communicator, leader. He wrote a book called Christian Extremism. And in that book, he tells a story about a young man named Emmanuel who planted a church in India. Now, even this was years ago, but even now, I looked at Ajay's Facebook. It was just, I was scrolling through Facebook this morning. I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he posted a picture of an Indian pastor who'd been killed because of the hostility towards Christians there. But he tells this story of Emmanuel and his wife who started this church. They left everything. They moved to this village that was not friendly to the name of Jesus. And they started telling people about Jesus. This church started growing. Some people in the town didn't like it. One Sunday morning, four men burst in with guns, took the pastor and his wife, held him at gunpoint and said, deny Jesus or we're going to kill you. And he said, I cannot do that. So they beat them. They tied ropes around their feet. They drug them behind their jeeps down these dirt roads out, in, out away from the village into the jungle. And they said, sign this document saying that you deny Jesus or we will kill you. And he was silent. And so the four guys said, all right, well, you're not going to deny Jesus because you're not afraid to die, but we're going to kill your wife if you don't deny Jesus but first we're going to rape her in front of you. And his wife started screaming out, do not deny the name of Jesus. Do not deny the name of Jesus. And so they tied him to a tree as he watched his wife be assaulted. And the only reason she didn't die was because some townspeople heard all the commotion, heard the screaming, and they came and they ran the four guys off because the four guys were afraid when they got outnumbered. Two weeks later, he was back in his church telling people about Jesus along with his wife. New Year's Day came around and they had a New Year's Day service and that pastor, Emmanuel, invited those four men from the community to come to that New Year's Day service. And they came and they accepted Jesus. Now, the love I produce would have killed four people as soon as I had the opportunity. You would have too. I would have killed them, literally. I would have wanted to anyway. And maybe I would have tried, and you probably would have too. But there was a love in him that was produced by God that there's no other way to explain it. How could you look at four people like that that had done that, you and your wife together say, we love you, and we want you to get to know Jesus because he'll change everything about you. And those men became followers of Christ because of the love that was shown to them. See, God produces a love in me that I could never produce on my own. So maybe you got some big questions to ask yourself today. Who are the people or person that I have trouble loving? Because you have to remember John saying, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I could make a list of people I have trouble loving. Maybe you could say it this way. You fill in that blank with anyone who does not love and just put the person's name or group of people in there. Anyone who does not love blank does not know God. 
So the driving question today is pretty simple, but it's very personal. It's simply, who do I need to love? Who do I need to love? So here's what we want you to do. There's a note card. You're not, nobody's ever going to see this note card that's in your seat but you. Why don't you, in a couple of minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to write down, who do I need to love and how will I love them? So the band's going to come out and they're going to play a song. And, and while that song is playing for a couple of minutes, just, just take some time and reflect. Who do I need to love? Maybe you don't even know the person you need to love. Maybe you know them. Maybe they're sitting right beside of you and it's really awkward. But who is the person that you need to love? And then how will you love them? See, Jesus taught 12 young men about love. And they went out and shared that love with the world. He showed them love and they showed the world love. What if we did that? What if we took the love he gives us that we can't produce on our own and we said, we're gonna show that to our city? What if we did that? What if we're going to show that to our world? What kind of an impact would we have? I would hope that after us doing that, I mean, there's a couple thousand of us to, to just love in a way that nobody else loves except those who have the Spirit of God. And wouldn't it be great if there was a time when 16 to 29-year-olds were asked, Christians blank, and they said, those are the people who love God and love other people. Wouldn't that be a great way to be described? So as you listen to the words to this song, write down who you need to love and how you need to love them.